0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Generally Cultured. I'm Robert and I'm Josh. Thank you
1: for joining us today. We're going to dive right in and talk about probably the most important story that's happened in the last couple of weeks and that is, if you haven't heard yet, the many Virginia scandals.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, as a resident of Virginia this one is hitting, oh, hitting a right. little close to home. <laughs> I do, technically. This scandal is really taking over um, the local news which is pretty crazy since you know we have D.C. and all the stuff that's going on there—it's—it's it's pretty wild to think that something that's happening in Richmond is kind of dominating the local news here. But just the nature of the scandal and how it keeps growing day by day, um, I think, is a big reason why it blew up. But now, now that we're kind of on the tail end of it, it seems to almost be dying out, which is a, kind of a strange phenomena uh, when you think about it.
1: Right. And so, just to recap for those who uh, who are busy like me or, or haven't heard yet: the, you know, the governor of Virginia. Well, you know what? It really kind of started with his abortion comment. Right? right. So
0: I have a t- I have a timeline right here if you okay. want me to go through let's, it. Let's go through and that. And you f- you feel free to interject at any moment. So, yeah, like like you were saying, I actually begin this scandal yeah. um, on January 28th, and I think a lot of people would do the same. January 28th is when Virginia delegate Kathy Tran introduces the abortion bill uh, that would admit, or it seems to suggest that it would admit, to allow abortions up until delivery. Um, there's that famous or kind of viral moment that um, happened where she's testifying and a a Republican state delegate is asking her questions about it, um, and and she does finally get to the point where she admits that um, her bill would allow for certain cases of abortion. she does so callously. Right. I think that's why it it went so viral, because people are like, wow, are we really going there? And I mean, it is a— from my understanding, it is the copycat bill that New York passed right. earlier. Um, very Virginia similar. is trying to pass, which very is similar. very strange thing to do since Virginia, politically speaking, is not the same makeup as New York. Yeah, um, I guess maybe there's some there's some parallels there. You know, north Northern Virginia is very liberal. Uh, same with New York City, but when you kind of get out into the more rural oh, yeah. parts of the state, it does come it does become a lot more conservative, which is New kind York of like upstate and, New York. So maybe yeah. maybe it is. Pretty similar in that sense But that kind of bill Is something that you would Expect to come out of New York It's not something you would Expect to come out of Virginia Right I think that's what Really kind of was jarring To a lot of people Right But then On January 30th Is kind of when Northam gets involved So Northam goes on a radio show And is asked about this Too bill. bad he, he didn't come on our show He didn't come on our show <laughs> He goes on a radio show And they kind of ask him To to clarify this position Because for those of you who Don't know uh, Governor Northam his, his background is in pediatrics so he's been in the on the medicine side working with kids for his entire career but he says on the in the radio interview that or at least he seems to suggest that not only would abortion be allowed up until delivery but suggested that babies that are delivered can be denied care and be left to die if the mother so chooses. Now, if I understand right, he
1: was talking about failed abortions. Correct. Right? That is correct. So these are abortions that would happen in the third trimester. Talking about this this bill that the delegate uh, Kathy Tran put out, and they're like, "Well, what would this look like if you know if if there was a failed abortion in the third trimester?" And he same way, I mean, so callously. So I mean, of course, he he's a he's a, he's a doctor by by trade, and so when you work on Work on that kind of stuff i guess you kind of do come a little desensitized to it but he takes so far to say you know okay failed failed abortion the baby's delivered they would make the baby comfortable right put it on the table and then i think if i can i don't want to like quote him but like paraphrase he says the mother and the doctors have a conversation and that and it's implied that they're talking about the life of the baby it's like that's a human life like right his breathing
0: what was so what was so outrageous about it was that at least to me the debate between the kind of the pro life movement and I'll call them the anti life movement is that um, that we finally seem to have gotten to the point where the moment for anti lifers is well once the baby is delivered once it goes through the birth canal then that's a life they're kind of they're willing to get there and that's kind of what we've been operating on and then with Northam's comments, it seemed to suggest that actually that's not really the case, that there's actually a lot more gray area for the anti-life movement in terms of what constitutes a life. I, For me, I thought it was crystal clear. I mean, as a pro-lifer, I mean, I believe that life begins at conception and right. that abortion in the third trimester is is abhorrent. Yeah. But in good faith, I can understand where somebody comes from by saying, "Well, no, it's not a human life until it's after birth." We have to make those distinctions because then you get into close into moral ethics, and that's religious and blah blah. I don't think those. Are, I think those are all bad arguments. But I can I can at least understand or at least try to understand where you're coming from when you suggest that care can be denied to a human that's that's been born because you don't see it as a life yet. I think that was what was so outrageous to so many people, and so immediately you saw people, at least on the the right start calling for Northam to at least clarify his comments. And at most start, you know, I saw people starting to call for him to resign because it was it was right. basically advocating for infanticide. Exactly. That's exactly what,
1: what was going on. And of course, we can talk. We could go all into, you know, what happened in the Senate, um, in the House. And they've tried, I think is was Senator Sass tried to ask for unanimous consent, you know, that calling for the absolute uh, condemnation of infanticide. But yet right. Democrats yep. objected. Um, and if you thought that was all the scandals we're going to talk about, that's just the tip
0: of it. Right. So apparently, and then on February 1st, apparently uh, a friend of Governor Northam, or at least an acquaintance who knew him, uh, was so upset by his comments that he uh, leaked uh, a photo from their med school yearbook.
1: Now, do we know who it was? Or was this we an don't, I don't know. Person? I
0: don't know who the person is who leaked but it. But it
1: came from, what was it, Big League Politics...
0: Right, which is a very right wing. From
1: like Breitbart, yeah. I think I think the editor or the the founder of it used to work at Breitbart.
0: But then it was confirmed by
1: big media sources, right? Which apparently it wasn't even that hard. You just had to call the medical school and ask ask them, like, is this true?
0: And they were all they were like, yeah, that's this yeah. is a totally a thing, yeah. So the infamous yearbook photo services, um, which was just so strange and kind of like a. I, I felt like I was going through deja vu because we had just dealt with a whole yearbook thing with, with Justice Kavanaugh. Right. It and came it was that
1: parad- or dichotomy. It
0: was just so weird. But anyway, so this photo surfaces. It shows a picture on, on Governor Northam's yearbook page. Um, and there's a picture of two young men, one in a Klan costume and one in blackface. It wasn't clear to me at the beginning which one he was. Yeah. But I don't think that matters. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. They're both horrible.
1: And, and to make it, if you haven't seen the, the yearbook page, it's very clear. It's not like, you know, there was a picture next to his name. It was his page in the yearbook. Right. And had other pictures there of him, like fishing or hunting or whatever it was. And then, of course, this absolutely terrible picture.
0: And Northam immediately goes on television. and No, no. I think it was a press release first, right? Was it a press release first? Yeah.
1: From his office like three or four hours later. So he
0: apologizes for the photo yeah. and says that he was, you know, he's deeply sorry to the harm that he's caused, especially the African-American community, right. that this does not reflect his values now, and that he wants to work to you know, bring reconciliation. Yeah, further, so, further their cause. So admits that it, it, by the nature of apologizing, you are admitting that you partook in that right. a- accident, which makes the next day so weird because on February 2nd, Maybe the strangest moment I've ever watched in politics. <laughs> I call it the moonwalk press conference. <laughs> I actually couldn't believe I was. I, it looked like something out of Veep. Do you know the show yes, Veep? Yes, That's what it reminded me of. It's like some spoof from it. So he comes out and he strongly denies that it's him in the photo. He,
1: Contradicting what he just said,
0: his office said before. Right. And he says, after a lot of talking with my friends, I don't believe that that's me in the photo. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And like we're gonna out the actual racist when everyone knows that it's it's him in the photo, (laughs) and then someone, I think, then asks him, "Well, have you ever wore blackface?" Which then he then admits that he did when he was like dressing up as Michael Jackson for a talent show or something for a talent show, and then somebody asks him, "Well, can you moonwalk?" And he takes a second and looks to see if he's he was got the. To do it. He looks to see if he's got the room to do it, and th- thank goodness for his wife, who says, "Honey, that is not a good idea." Inappropriate circumstances. Yes. Oh my gosh, he was good to do it. He was. I
1: mean, gosh, that was so bad. Man, talk about just adding it, like uh, piling it on yourself. I mean, I don't know.
0: I mean, can you remember a stranger political moment than that?
1: <laughs> I really can't. I mean, it, you really think of. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I I haven't really been like politically conscious for a long time. So I can think of like maybe when George Bush says his goofy things, but that doesn't it pales in comparison to what Northam did, especially in that press conference.
0: Right. The circumstances were so, so weird. Like we're in this middle of deep hurt that he's caused the state, horrible images of racism. And he's, like, trying to joke about moonwalking at a press conference. It was just it so was, jarring. It's terrible. Yeah.
1: And then, of course, the interview that he did, I, I can't remember what outlet it was with, but they asked him, like, were you about the moonwalk? And then he says, no, at, at 50-something years old, I don't have those skills anymore. I was like, man, you are certainly a politician. Can you just brush off that question? Right. Like,
0: you were going to do it. Oh, I know. And if you thought the scandal couldn't get any worse, just uh, <laughs> buckle up here, folks, because on February 3rd, so the day after the infamous moonwalk press conference, um, so everyone's calling for Northam to, to resign, which was I think was very admirable,
1: of even national Democrats, right? Right. Very quickly, everybody like, hey, you know what? This guy's got
0: to go for the good of the party, good of the state or Commonwealth. You got to go. And I think in people's minds, it would be fine with him leaving because he would be replaced by Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, who is a very young, charismatic, and already an up-and-coming,
1: soon-to-be governor. Since if i if i understand it right common, commonwealth uh, only has
0: it has it's a one term governorship right, right right yeah yeah and and justin fairfax would have been or might Next still be lie. one day we don't know uh the i, I believe the first african american governor of the commonwealth of oh, virginia interesting. um so the, it it kind of made for a, a great kind of a potentially great story of you know virginia kind of gets rid of its racist past by sh- you know shucking this black faced governor and replacing it with you know kind of kind of almost like an Obama figure. I mean right. that's kind of what it, it felt like. But then on February third, accusations about a potential sexual assault that uh, Justin Fairfax committed in in two thousand four are released by the same website that oh I didn't know first that. initially yes leaked the photo, the blackface photo. So Fairfax then immediately denies it. Seems to suggest I believe it was in kind of like the the Capitol Rotunda in Richmond. I, He almost seemed to suggest that he thought his political opponents had been the ones that released it. And then I think a journalist asked him, do you mean Northam? And he didn't deny that. Oh, really? Which was very interesting. Now, that's very much in the heat of the moment. That's people, you know, are hurt and 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 are just kind of taking swings. So that was strange. On February 4th, Fairfax uh, denies the allegation. He says that the Washington Post came to him about the story... Um, and said that they had found no evidence and decided not to run it. Right when he was, I believe, running for lieutenant governor. Hmm. But then Washington Post comes out and clarifies that no, what they said was that they couldn't find any corroborating evidence for either side. There was just not enough information to run a story. Which is super ironic with the Kavanaugh. Right. So story. I think a lot of people hopped on that. If you're if you're already a critic of the of the media, yeah. Uh, and it's me- and it's perceived I- biases. You would have jumped on that immediately right so that makes that makes it a little strange so now we're kind of in this weird gray area where you're having to kind of choose to defend either a apparent racist right or somebody who could have credibly committed sexual assault so I think that put a lot of Democrats in a dangerous position and let's not forget that the Democrats
1: in the last couple of elections they have been working tirelessly to i mean if i remember right like the house of delegates like has the republican speaker and we'll get to him in a second but they won it it was wasn't that long ago when they won the house by a coin flip or something like one of the delegates
0: yeah i mean that happened just recently so that's the reason why republicans control house of the yeah local Uh, elections matter people (laughs) and every vote (laughs) matters it's just it's crazy and and so the Democrats, you
1: know that they're when they're going through this, they're just like, oh my goodness, like we're working so hard, and then talk about ironies of ironies. But wasn't it um, who was the candidate that was running against Northam, and it was all about race. I mean, Gillespie, he, yeah, Gillespie, that's right. Well, there was that he, horrible ad. Yeah, the one with the pickup truck. Yeah, it had like the MAGA sticker on the back or whatever it was, and it was like they were apparently like, trying to paint Gillespie as
0: this this racist. Well, not and, only a racist, as a racist who will persecute children of yeah of minority. minority
1: descent, yeah, and and then it turns, and then of course you know, uh, a couple months later, it turns out, wow, Northam, you are the one that not in your high school yearbook, not in your college yearbook, your medical school yearbook, you are right. the one that is either wearing blackface or in KKK a clans, yeah, know, it's rope. it's
0: horrible. But what was even worse for the Democrats was to give them credit. They have worked really, really hard to not be perceived as hypocrites on this, you know, sexual assault, believe women all the time line that they've been going on, um, especially with, you know, that we saw a lot in the Kavanaugh hearings. Right. I mean, Al Franken basically had one indecent picture of him. I mean, Senator Al Franken, kind of an institution for the Democrats in the Senate, and they yeah. tell him, dude, you're done. Like, get out of here. And somebody that was a renowned
1: comedian— before comedians are known to push the envelope and it's very I mean I don't always agree with them but they that's like in society that's who they are and yeah and then he was supposed to fall on a sword for the party
0: and then they've kind of been doing a been really consistent on this point of we are going to believe women and if an accusation comes out against you I mean as long as it's not you know crazy like right. You know, they were they, the Democrats were fine to dismiss a couple of the accusations that came against Kavanaugh because they were just so ridiculous. The one where he was in the boat in yeah, yeah, Colorado or whatever. Right. Or off the coast of Rhode Island, I believe is where he was. I don't know. It was. Yeah. There were so many of them. There were so many of them. But if, if there's a somewhat credible uh, accusation, they're going to tell you to resign. And so they've been really consistent on this point. Um, and I think now this has put them in a more uh, precipitous position. Because Now they have to face the music and realize, okay, like what are we
1: going to do? Because if I, if I remember right, if I get my facts straight, Fairfax now has two allegations against him. He does him.
0: have two. So on February 6th, Professor Vanessa Tyson comes out publicly about her accusation.
1: And the second one seems a little bit, has a little bit more collaborating evidence with it.
0: Right, and, and Fairfax is not denying that the event happened. He's de- it, he's it saying consensual. that it was consensual. Right. So he he admits that something happened. Right. That puts him in a very dangerous position. I saw that a bunch of Democrats, especially those running for president, like Gillibrand Harris, are calling for an FBI investigation. But my understanding is that there can't be an FBI investigation. That's not their jurisdiction. Oh, interesting. So I don't know what the next step is. I think they're trying to figure out what that looks like. But this is all made more complicated because also on February 6th, Attorney General Herring, who had came out publicly and said Northam needs to resign because this is wearing black faces, is a horribly racist uh, action, which it is, caused Northam to resign then admits to wearing blackface right, in uh, college in, in, in the 1980s. And he's the third in, or second in line. Right. So as the, li- the line of succession goes, the lieutenant governor, who's a Democrat, Fairfax, the attorney general, who's also a Democrat, who's Herring, but if they were both to resign, the next person in line is the head of the House of Delegates of Virginia, which is a Republican. So the line of succession would actually move from, from party to party, right. which makes it so kind of such a crazy case in American history.
1: Yeah, I, it would be interesting to go back. I mean, obviously, gotta get some researcher to do this. If that's ever happened before, right? Like,
0: yeah, I don't know if it has. And how
1: has that happened? What were the dynamics? How did the how did the media treat it? How did how did the like party politics happen? Because you are transferring power because of scandal. That's big. I mean, that really is like a Veep episode. It is. I
0: mean, it, everything about it is just so surreal. It doesn't feel like this could happen in uh, America today. Looking back on this, you know, fifty years from now, right. Uh, when people study this case, because it will be studied, big takeaways, I think, are going to be sort of the same questions that we got out of the Kavanaugh hearings, which is, what's the cutoff? You know, I've, I saw a lot of people saying, like, on both sides, you know, both during the Kavanaugh hearings and, and here, are the actions of high schoolers, you know, can that disqualify you right. in the future for public office? You know, I, I think that there's there's some uh, evidence to suggest that horrible actions that you commit as a high schooler, you know, it. it if there really was a sexual assault, I mean that de- definitely does speak, you know, to what your character is today. Yeah, and um, I don't know what
1: crime. I mean, already in our justice system, if you commit some crimes, I'd I'd have to go back and check, but if you commit some or commit uh, certain crimes as a minor, they can be expunged from your record after, you know, right. paying your dues or whatever it is. But this is, I think, this is a bigger question than, and we'll have to take some time to think about this. And you're right, this case is going to be studied because now with social media and, you know, millennials just posting their life on on the internet, when when millennials start really running for president or running for elected office or whatever it is, of course, it will be debated in the election, and the public will have a chance to chime in on it, right? So let's say there's some photo, some ridiculous thing that you did in high school, obviously very inappropriate, whatever it is. You know, uh, who's a good one that does this? They make fun of their audience. I think it's Ellen. Ellen DeGeneres does this. She like, she has her team research or look at the Facebook or social media accounts of her audience and then she kind of, you know, finds pictures that are obviously very inappropriate or very just embarrassing in general. And then she just brings it up and they just kind of laugh at it. But when that happens to a candidate, and hopefully, you know, maybe in the future, if you're running for office, make sure you have a very good opposition research team. Because the pictures are probably gonna be out there depending on what it is. Hopefully not blackface. But right some inappropriate picture or whatever it is. So the question is going to be, like you just said, at what point do we say, you know what, that was juvenile, it was a mistake. We all have this, like, learning curve of maturity that, that we kind of ride along as we grow up. I don't know. And it's, yeah. it's a little bit different. It's going to be – I think it's going to be different for each case. And hopefully, I – me personally, I hope that the candidates, you know, when they're when they're duking it out in the campaign – that it comes to light and that would be the time to like say oh yeah I've had this terrible picture you know right I did the stupid thing when I was a frat boy at college right like that kind of stuff but when this happens after you're in office I don't know and especially like so hypocritical of Northam to right attack his his opponent as racist and all this other stuff right that's just I don't know that's so hard it's so hard to grapple with and then the fact that he's now that he's denying that he even did it, I don't. Right. Know, I don't know. It's it's almost like, all right, well, you're remorseful that you got caught. Yeah, that's that's kind of
0: my my takeaway as well. Yeah, I I think that what we need to remember and what we will remember from this thing is we need to do a better job of putting things in context, and I don't mean that as a defense of it, of anyone's actions, because it's not. I'm saying that for us today, we look back and we look at these blackface photos and we say, "Oh my gosh, that's so horrible! How could anyone ever do that?" Right? And we should not have the the pride in thinking that there's nothing like that that we do today. Right? If that makes sense, there is something that that is part of mainstream culture today that we do that That uh, won't be okay. That won't be okay in 20 years from now. And we we are there is a certain level of hubris. to think that we are the moral perfection of history. Historians
1: tell us all the time, like to project our uh, modern morality on the past is so foolhardy. You're going to just paint all your your heroes with such nasty vices. And when at the time they were doing their best and they were men of their time, the same time, it is so hard. It's only 30 years ago to think, all right, you're a grown man. You're, I mean, I understand we all do stupid stuff, but it's hard. I, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it, I think a lot of it is maybe just the acceleration of, of how the acceleration of society because of the advent of the internet and the 24 hour news cycle and some of these other things. I mean, it really is. We've become so, I don't know. I, I mean, judgmental is the word that like everybody would use, but we we seem to have this like it's like instant judgment from pictures or videos or whatever. I mean, we see this like the the stuff that we talked about at the very beginning. The Covington kids. The Covington kids, right? Yeah. It's like we have this instant judgment, and we're instantly uh, certain of our judgment because we see these things, and it's presented to us in this the fabulous way that the news media does, and they make lots of money doing it. And of course, they're going to continue doing that. But I, it's something we're going to have to think about as a society.
0: It's a strong case that. I'm going to make to my kids that, you know, social media is a very powerful tool and it can also be a powerful weapon and you should be using it sparingly. I I think that's kind of the lesson that I have for my kids. Well, I think this is a good time to transition into our second part of our conversation, which is we're going to, we're going to finish on reading well. A wonderful book. Wonderful book. Fantastic book. Highly
1: recommend it. Yes. Go and buy it, study it, that it is set up in such a, a great way. Because it's set up in almost like, it's case studies, right? I thought about that the last night. Yeah. I was like, we're looking at all these virtues. We looked at the uh, the cardinal virtues, start with. And then it was, remind me, what was the, the theological, uh, the theological
0: virtue. virtues. And then now it's the heavenly virtues. Yes. I actually like this section a lot. This was the section that I was most nervous for because I didn't know really any of the books that she's going to reference. Same. And I'm not super familiar with a lot of these virtues as virtues. Like, I know what they are. Or at least I thought I knew what they were, but she does a really good job of explaining how these are virtues in the same sense of the theological virtues and the cardinal virtues. And
1: does she explain? I, I was trying to figure out why she calls them heavenly virtues. Is there a reason why? So we're going to talk about we're going talk about chastity, talk about patience, diligence, a couple of, and then a couple others. Why why are they they the heavenly? Virtues? So
0: the the seven heavenly virtues come out of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. But even if you're not big C Catholic, I mean these are these are virtues that you're taught in any um, yeah. Christian context. Yeah, yeah. So the first one is chastity. Um, if you've been in more conservative circles, I think this is the one that she at least says is the most misunderstood of the virtues, and I would I would tend to agree with that. I would agree. you?
1: Yep, absolutely. And I love how she talks about it's. Oh, I think she quotes C.S. Lewis. Uh, it says chastity is, quote, the most unpopular of Christian virtues. And I think a lot of that is because it is misunderstood, or at least it's, it's. I don't think it's understood even, people are are wary of it, or they're aware of it, and then they're wary of it, and then they don't dive deep into what right. it is.
0: Yeah, it's a combination, I think, of, if especially if you come from a more conservative background. Exactly. It's a combination of, it's an awkward subject right. that you don't want to talk about, and it is... Somehow viewed, and I think that the best book that depicts this is Scarlet Letter from Nathaniel Hawthorne. It is somehow, w- like, sexual sin is somehow worse than every every other sin. And so there's a stronger condemnation yeah. against. Especially when you get branded. For, yeah, yeah, against sexual sin. And so what Pryor does a very good job of, of doing is defining the difference between chastity, which is our desire for human vitality properly ordered and the difference between that and abstinence or even to even use a little bit more uh, debatable term purity in the sense that you know you you so suppress the that need for human vitality that you see just even that need as bad does that make sense
1: yeah absolutely And and if you're familiar with or if you've studied Aristotelian Virtues or the way that they talk about it, when they talk about proper order, it's not trying to suppress a, a good, right? It's trying to put it in its right place. And uh, Augustine talks about this um, a little bit, and she quotes him, how chastity, like you said, is a purity or purity of virtue of the mind, locating it in the desire rather than action. And everybody that um, has, you know, especially like Scarlet Letter or any of these like rom-coms that come out nowadays, You can easily see that chastity doesn't just start start and end with the action; it starts with the thought. Uh, It's it's tempering your desires and putting them in the right place. And of course, the Bible talks about that a lot. You know, bridle your passions. And at first, I always thought I was like, okay, that's that's a weird way to put that. Like a bridle is what we use. Oh, it's actually what we use to steer a horse, and the horse is extremely powerful, and it can be it can be turned from you know left to right with this small metal piece in the horse's mouth. And of course that's like the common way that a Sunday school teacher would teach their class about it. But really the the virtue or you know any virtue is is acquired by persistent action. And I think that's something that we can definitely see with with chastity.
0: Tell me what you think about this. I, my feeling is that our society, our modern culture rejects chastity because Absolutely. it is because it is hard. And and Prior dives into that, but I think it's best exemplified in our dating reality reality shows that you will see on television today. And there's this this sense that if marriage is hard, then you need to quit it. There's that's why we have divorce. Like right. but that's very much a modern notion, and that because marriage is just seen as a contract between two consenting adults, and not as a a binding uh, sacrament in front of the Lord, It can it, because it's just a contract, if it's hard, then I'm going to quit it. And that's best seen in that show, The Bachelor. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's so great. Right, anytime there's any bit of conflict, right, <laughs> it all blows up. There's nothing keeping those people moored together or, yeah. or anchored in anything. And in it, some ways, in the back of their mind, they know it's all a show too.
1: Right. Right, yeah. they're all trying to become... You know, if they, don't, if they don't win, if they're not picked by The Bachelor, they want to be the next Bachelorette, right? Right. So they're just trying to survive and, and be the next prettiest face to uh, make a bunch of money. But I wonder, to, this is, okay, here's my question. I, this has always bo- bothered me a little bit about modern-day viewing of chastity or just today is Valentine's Day, right? Let's talk yeah. about it. So in just in, like, our modern dating culture, it seems to me that the rom-coms, the reality television shows and, and stuff like that, they have done so much damage to the expectations of both men and women. For sure. That we don't even know what we're doing anymore. I, we, I mean, obviously, it's going to be a scary thing. Like, you're obvi- dating or just building any relationship is vulnerable. And then there is, obviously, vulnerability has a prize at the end, but it can be hurtful. But we don't even know what we're doing anymore because we expect something that is unrealistic whether in beauty or looks itself. And then in the in the courtship itself, now I'm talking like my grandfather, but in the courtship itself, it seems as if they expect, you know, sweep them off their feet kind of, uh, I don't know. I'm very cynical about how
0: modern day culture has twisted or warped our expectations. Right. There's There's an expectation that in a relationship, or at least what we're told today by so-called experts is that, You get into a relationship to get the best out of another person, and actually, when you love somebody, it's about self-sacrifice. It's about giving, not getting. And both in giving oneself to the other, there is mutual flourishing. I mean, that's that's the point of a relationship. And then, as somebody who is married, and my wife and I were married, and it was just us two, it wasn't until we had our son that... Even so, many more things came into context um, in the sense that, oh, marriage is great because it it, it is a special uh, relationship between two adults. But when you have a child, you realize that the purpose of the of the marriage serves many bigger things than just your immediate needs and desires. If that makes sense, right. you realize that the family becomes the very you know, I would argue. Bedrock of not only your life but society and culture.
1: Yes, absolutely. And the thing that it frustrates me the most. What's the show where they have like experts analyze their personality, and then they they're like they're pretty it's like a blind date, but they get married. Like they leave, it's like a legal contract. I I don't remember. It's I have some, no idea. I have no idea what like you're that. talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's something that, anyways, like experts decide. Okay, yeah, like your personality is this, and then this is what you like, and then here's and it's experts literally like. It's like on a talk show. Like, hey, this is who you are. We're gonna match you up, and they the contestants literally get married, and and for six months throughout the the show, it, you know, there's all the drama, and that's what television is all about. And that bothers me so much because who cares really in the in the the beginning, um, almost what your personality is, what your likes or dislikes are, because like you just said, it's a mutual effort, and if you both work at it, almost regardless of your background. You can you can flourish together, and that's something that actually follows it follows right into the book or the novel or the novel that she talks about in this chapter, Ethan Fromm, which I wasn't aware of. I had not never heard this book before. But to kind of do a quick synopsis, Ethan Fromm, uh, it it seems like this is like set in like the 1700s or something. I don't, that's the way I read it. <laughs> but, I think all English novels are set in that time period. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it was modern at their time, but. But yeah, so he is a he's a man that he marries this older woman. Um, it's like seven years his senior or something. He does it out of obligation, and she recognizes it. And her name is uh, Zena, and she's had she's had a tough life. And but then she recognizes that, and so they they're happy. But they because there's some illness and and some uh, disability or some problems with the relationship in general. They just they fall cold, right? And then and I don't want to give away everything, and I I really don't. Um, really can't do the book justice and that's why we're just presenting it for listeners to go and book by themselves but he he gets infatuated with this other woman maddie and it's so ironic but throughout the book the way that um, prior talks about this the effort the diligence the attention that he gives to maddie if he would have just given that to Zena would have saved his marriage and that that is so ironic we've seen that in so many novels modern novels tv shows i'm sure i'm sure amazon prime is going to come with a new new movie just about that it's a it's a lesson that we have to learn over and over again and that's what the classics are all about is is understanding that from the very beginning
0: and so chapter nine is diligence chapter 10 is patience chapter 11 is kindness we're not going to dive into those because we just don't have the time um you should definitely go check those out uh, the final chapter, though, we should talk. give a few minutes to is, is humility, which she calls the key to all the other virtues. And I, I think that's true, because if virtue is about uh, living the good life and there is a connection between virtue and living in a good life and also being aware of reality, humility is that self-knowledge, that self-possession, possessing of one's soul that allows you to then— Perceive reality the way that it is, and then from there you can you can live the good life. So I, I was very pleased with how this chapter turned out. Uh, you know, and that was you hit on like the
1: perfect point because that was one thing that I highlighted. Humility is that knowledge of oneself and knowledge of reality and, and seeing things as they really are, which is why humility is the most difficult to right. acquire and the greatest one of the greatest of all, if not the underlying foundation of all other virtues because of its vice, pride which is if you have pride then why did you even try right with virtues because you're you're
0: dud. you're like that's the whole you missed the point pride takes a very kind of special position in especially scripture for the cause of of the fall i mean it is it is because of pride that satan wants to uh, rise to the level uh, of god uh, and it's pride that Adam and Eve have to want to be on the same level as God that causes them to disobey and, and fall. So pride is really the, the key element to this. And it's still today, when you look at all of the problems that are going on in our culture, around the world, you can still find pride at the center of all of it. Pryor in her book, uses two short stories from Flannery O'Connor to, to show pride. Uh, the first one that I thought was the best, it was called Revelation. And it, it involves a, a woman who is very prideful, sees herself as above everybody, and it's and so, when she then suffers, uh, she realizes that timeless truth in Matthew, that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And she realizes that at the end times, your status, your wealth, none of that's going to matter. It, all that matters is that you all come together um, in Christ. And I think that in a culture that is unmoored from Christ, where Christ and Christian ethics are not the center we have this very perverted sense of yes the same axiom the first shall be last the last shall be first but it, that doesn't mean be humble understand your place in the universe and who how you relate to your creator it's i'm the center of the universe and so when people victimize me that makes me come last so then that one day I can become first. So that's where you get all this victim culture. If you're the center of the universe, then you are competing to see who's been the victimized the most. I think that that is a very perverse sense of what that actual teaching states. Um, but I think that's where we find ourselves today.
1: Yeah, and I, I think, again, you hit it on, on the head, the lack of humility in our, our modern society. I mean, it's weird because because our heritage, we have this Judeo-Christian heritage, our society in general has that. Because we have have detached ourselves from that, uh, now we get these, you know, what do they call it, humble brags. And that's what's viewed as, in some sense, I mean, people recognize it's a brag, but they, in some sense, that's their first thought of what humility is, right? It's like, it's saying, oh, you know, I love how she, I think she said what word, it was kind of funny. It was like, oh, I, I'm having such a hard time learning Chinese. Spanish, French, and German were so easy, right? (laughs) Uh, And it is sad because it makes you wonder, you know, if humility is the understanding of oneself and the understanding of of truth and reality, and if we lack humility in our society or just in our daily lives, there's some major problems that we're going to run into and we are running into as society. And, And, you know, we say that in such a broad term, society. But what I mean by that is, your friendships, your community, your neighbors, your that's what we're going to run into we're going, we're having problems even being a community and that's and i think a lot of that comes from the lack of these christian virtues. Yeah,
0: i would agree. I, I think that the the common thread throughout this whole thing that just stuck out to me in terms of trying to relate it to uh, the the things that i see going on in, in culture and society today was this inherent connection between virtue and understanding the world the way it, as as it is. You know, there there is objective reality that's in front of us and some people some positions whether that's political positions or philosophical positions don't want to admit that a a key reality of this world is that there is pain and that there's suffering and that we suffer from a human condition. Yep. That that is just the truth. We are imperfect. We're imperfect and there is a I think there is a group of people that don't want to recognize that. Don't have the humility to recognize that we may not be able to solve every problem in the universe. Right. And we that I think that's why we see a lot of the wrath and the anger towards each other mm. because there's a frustration that you know, I thought we eradicated racism. Well, the governor of Virginia in 2019 <laughs> has a photo of blackface. Like there's there's and a, he didn't resign. <laughs> there's a frustration about it, right? That I thought we were better than this. Right. And and virtue allows you to look at that moment and say that is a horrible wrong and that is a that is a sign of of our imperfectness and the horrible realities of racism that still permeate our culture we can recognize that it's bad we can condemn it and we can try to move forward and try to be better but we're going to need grace we're going to need kindness we're going to need humility and i think without those things you're going to see a culture that continues to rip apart And become more angry and wrathful at each other than um, forgiving and reconciling
1: so we have a choice right I we have I mean in some respects we have that that future that could is vastly approaching where we we look at each other with such fierce I mean the sad part about it is that Paul talks about this in the in the New Testament I mean in the last days men are boastful proud fierce despisers of those that are good right and as, as Christians, I know that that's, that's hard because there's a lot of suffering that comes even from those who are trying to acquire those virtues. But I am still a believer that those, we are so much better off acquiring those virtues individually and as a society. Like Aristotle said in the end, you know, it's that, or I believe it was Aristotle, you know, that journey is what makes us so much better. Even if we don't always make it to the end, you know, we know we're not going to be perfect in this life. But those Christian virtues are what's so important. So
0: great. That concludes our summary of Karen Swallow Prior's on reading well. Overall, I would say two enthusiastic thumbs up from Absolutely. this guy. Yeah. So you should definitely go out and, and check it out. We'll see. Josh and I are gonna are gonna throw back some ideas. We're gonna figure out what our next book is or what we're, the next kind of thing we're gonna review. But until then, this has been Generally Cultured. I'm Robert. You can follow me on Twitter at rd hassler, and I'm Josh. You can follow me at wjosh underscore lee,
1: and we will see you next time.